This morning, I'm reminded of a quote that my grandpa used to say, and it was basically, um, in the face of adversity, there's an equal seed of advantage. And the idea is, even though we're walking through kind of crazy times, or stuff in life maybe going on crazy, and it might not seem like a very positive situation in your life right now, there's a seed in there that can be just as strong in a positive direction. And so I hope that we can find that seed and we can lean into it today and find ways to provide care for our community and ultimately find ways to adjust our course towards Christ. See, this time of the morning on Sunday is an opportunity for you and I to experience the Holy Spirit. And what we hope as a staff, as volunteers, people that prepare for the creative arts team, they make coffee, they're opening the doors and greeting, is that right now we can step out of the way, move, remove ourselves, and the Holy Spirit can move in the lives of you and I here today, and that we can hear God's voice in these moments. So whatever you need to hear today, we hope that He speaks to you. See, here at Waypoint, our mission statement is pretty clear. A just course towards Christ. We believe in that. Everything we do, we surround from this idea of adjusting our course towards Christ. We believe whether you've been following God for five days or 50 years, there are small things that you can do that will continue to put you in alignment with how God has called you to live and put you in step with the way that Jesus lived his life. And we try and find ways to put you in different environments to live out this mission. We call it our three E's. Our three E's are simple but profound. The first one is we try and create environments that allow you to encounter one another. You're trying to decide, do I even like these people? Are they, are they weird? Do I agree with them? Do I like the mission? Can I see myself here? growing and knowing God more and more, it would be things like coming on Sunday morning, attending a water day. Um, you're just trying to feel this place out. Then you might grow into the engage phase. In the engage phase, you're like, okay, I like them, but can I trust them? And you're trying to identify, do I trust these people? And the way that you find that out is you get involved in a small group, in a men's breakfast, in a ladies' Bible study. You serve on a team here with a group of people. You do something to put yourself in community with other people around Waypoint. And then lastly, you extend yourself. This is where we believe Jesus has called all of us. You are doing something that for no better or betterment of yourself, but enhancing his kingdom. You're serving, you're giving, you're doing something that puts you out there so that others can enjoy the encounter, so that others can find ways to engage. Maybe you're leading a small group. Maybe you're going to a Habitat for Humanity build. It's not for you, but it's for other people in our community. And we try and do this because we believe in these different environments, you can find ways to adjust your course towards Christ. That mission statement to us is simple but profound. See, I used to work at a place when I was in college where the mission statement meant everything to that company. The owner would walk around with a gift card or a $100 bill in his pocket, and he would ask different groups of people, can you recite the mission statement? And if you could recite the mission statement, he would pull that $100 bill out and give it to them. He was reinforcing this idea that everything we do here is around this mission statement. The way we treat our customers, the way we treat each other, the way we build our products. And I just think, 
If a manufacturing and production company in Elkhart County can have this buy-in to this mission statement, what would it look like if we, as a group of believers, rallied around our mission statement here at Waypoint, and we decided to find ways to adjust course towards Christ, little by little, and over time, what would the change in our community be? What would the change in your life and your family's life be? See, I believe that we're all called to find ways to adjust course towards Christ. And so this morning, we're going to talk about one of those elements that can help you adjust course towards Christ. Now, as soon as I say it, half of you will be like, oh, yeah, well, I've already been baptized, so I guess I don't really need to listen. The next 30 minutes, I can take a nap. And the other group of you might say, well, I'm not getting up in front of people and getting in the water, so I don't have to listen. And the rest of you, I don't know what you're thinking. But what I'm going to challenge you is to stay engaged and stay connected because at the end, we're going to have an opportunity to take communion together. And I'm going to ask everyone here one simple question. What do you need to do today to help you adjust course towards Christ? And so I'm going to challenge all of us with that. But before we get there, let's go ahead and jump into today's message. Because I think when we look at baptism as a group of believers, we see this as a celebration, an exciting opportunity for people to profess their faith in front of a comfortable group of people that all believe the same thing. But I don't think that was the case in Jesus' time. I don't think baptism was this easy decision to do and people would decide to do it without any pushback or without kind of making a rebellious statement. See, I I think that baptism, when it first came into the scene, was a little bit of the middle finger to two groups of people, the Jewish leaders and the Roman Empire. Because up until this point, these groups of people ruled everything. And then comes this dude who's dressed weird, eating a weird diet out of the wilderness, telling people that he baptizes them in the name of Jesus. We're talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the first person that we see come into the scene and start to introduce this idea of baptism. So who was John the Baptist? Well, Like I said, he had a very distinct dress about him and a very distinct diet. What's interesting is the way that he dressed and the way that he ate aligned with a group of Jewish leaders at that time. The group was called the Essence, and they were from a region near the Dead Sea. And where they lived near the Dead Sea, in 1947, there was a huge archaeological discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which helped prove portions of the Old Testament to be true, and he lived in this group. The region was called the Kuman region, and they secluded themselves from other people. And so they were more about building community, learning more about the Jewish faith, and having the strict diet and the strict way of dressing and living. However, what's weird is John the Baptist comes out from that group, out of the wilderness, and starts talking about baptism. So people have argued there's no way that he could have been part of this group, because if he was part of this group, he would have stayed secluded. However, what I think could have happened, and I don't know, is that he learned with this group. He identified with this group. And something got put on his heart and called him out to leave this group of people and to start preaching what was going to be known as the good news and that Jesus was coming. 
I would view John the Baptist as a modern-day missionary stepping out and evangelizing for what was going to happen. I think he studied with this group, he identified with this group, and then something radically happened to his heart, calling him out of that setting. And when he comes out, and it's recorded, and he starts preaching and teaching, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 6, John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. It's recorded, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is who has spoken through the prophet Isaiah. So right now, when he says this, everybody would have been reminded of an ancient scripture when he says, I am a voice of one calling in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. Make straight your paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. I think there's a reason they put that in there. That's very weird and very descriptive, so they wanted us to pay attention to that. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. As soon as this happens, the Jewish leaders of the day would have felt threatened. They would have been like, who is this guy? What is he doing? Why did we not feel called that the Messiah was coming? You have to remember, these people are waiting for the Messiah to come, and they are trying to figure out, what is this guy doing? They would have felt threatened. But not only would they have felt threatened, the Roman Empire. This group of people was probably one of the baddest and toughest empires to ever live, and at the sniff of any type of rebellion, they would have squashed you and made an example out of you. So when John the Baptist comes out baptizing people, and then Jesus starts his ministry and starts getting popularity, they would have despised and hated that, wondering, do we need to end what is happening here? Because they're claiming that he's the king, but we know it truly is the Roman Empire that is the king that we serve. And so when they did this, they came out and started baptizing people at a time where it would have been very difficult and it would have been a tremendous step and showing of faith and obedience to God. See, baptism isn't this foreign idea back then. Though John the Baptist was the first to start doing it, they have something in the Jewish religion that is similar to baptism. It's not the same thing, but, but they go to these different bathhouses and they go and submerge themselves in water. And when they go into this water, they are cleansing themselves. So ladies, after their menstrual cycle, are supposed to go to these bathhouses. There's an attendant there that watches them, make sure every piece of their body goes under the water, including their hair, and then they come out cleansed. They call this mikvah. But it's not just for ladies, it's also for men. Guys that are dealing with sin or issues in their life are called to step into this bathhouse as well to go fully submerged and come out cleansed. So when John the Baptist is dunking people underwater and lifting them up and saying, now you are clean, go and serve the Lord, they would know exactly what he was doing. And for some reason, I'm not sure why, God has chosen to use water as an element to impact our lives. I don't think there's power necessarily in water. It's just what he decided to use. Because we can see that in Genesis 1, verse 1, that God is the only one here, and he's hovering over the waters. Then we see that 
when there was the fall of man and sin throughout the whole world and God was pretty much done with us, he made a new covenant with Noah and he floods with water to replace and get rid of all of the sin and to start over. And we see it continue where he delivers the Israelites and the, through the Red Sea and parts it as they are escaping into the promised land. The water is a level of protection. Then we see in the New Testament, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and he says, drink this water and you will thirst no more. This I am the living water. And we see in Ephesians, when Paul's writing about the family unit, he says that the wife should cleanse herself with water. See, I don't know why God chose to use water as an element, but it is a sign of continual cleansing. It's a sign of God's um, promise to us, and it is a comfort for us. So for whatever reason, God identified this idea that my people should choose to be baptized out of an act of obedience. Now, today, I would say you and I are probably not facing persecution if we decide to get baptized. But what I will say is the world that we live in is not the most Christian-friendly world. It's much more about me and what can I get out of the world versus how Jesus modeled to live about what can I do for others. And so if you choose to get baptized, what you're saying is I no longer identify with this world, with this culture. Instead, I choose to identify with this guy named Jesus, and I am going to radically live differently. Now, unfortunately, we do see when people make these commitments and statements of faith, sometimes there is a level of persecution in our world. We see sometimes people kind of get canceled. Sometimes people get their names run through their mud or businesses might be um, kind of impacted based on stances that Christians are making in the world we live in today. Now, I think you could argue maybe Christians haven't always put their best foot forward to help with this situation. However, it is true We as a staff were at a leadership training earlier in August, and one of the speakers um, was sharing about a friend that he knows that's in the military who proclaims the faith of God and has been bold with that faith. And for whatever reason, his military superior said, hey, there's no more room for you here based on your beliefs. Something's got to change. We can't continue forward. And so he, he lost what he was working towards his whole career. Now, I don't know that situation. I'm not saying that that is prevalent in the military or anywhere. But what I do know is when you choose to be baptized, you are making a radical statement against the culture that we live in. An act of rebellion, almost like John the Baptist did when he first came onto the scene. And if you choose, I would encourage you to continue reading Matthew chapter 3, because if you continue reading through that, you're going to see that the Jewish leaders of the time were ticked off and upset that this guy comes in baptizing people. And John the Baptist basically says, listen, you guys don't get it. You don't understand. And he continues doing what he's doing, preparing the way for Jesus's ministry. And then he goes on to have an opportunity to baptize Jesus himself. Now, what doesn't make sense to me is if the perfect person of the world, Jesus the Messiah, he didn't need to be baptized, but he chose to be. Why did he do this? Well, there's a a quote that I want to read from a theologian at Westminster Theology, and he basically says, says, 
Jesus is portrayed in the gospel as the last Adam, meaning he's the last covenant that God has created for us, whose obedience is necessary for God's people to experience the blessing of salvation. Jesus' baptism signals the inauguration of his mission as the obedient son and of his model of what it is meant to be faithful to God. I think if baptism was good enough for Jesus, it is probably good enough for you and I. And it is an act of obedience in aligning yourself and making a statement to the world with who you align with. And so for me, if you're sitting here today and you're wondering, should I get baptized? Shouldn't I get baptized? I would encourage you to sit with that and wrestle with it for a little bit. So I want to share a little bit about what baptism is to us here at Waypoint, just in case you're on the fence about it. Baptism for us, we often get asked, is it linked to salvation? Do I need to be baptized to get into heaven? For us here at Waypoint, we do not believe that is true. The reason we don't believe it is true is we look through Scripture and we see different pieces of evidence of this. When Jesus is on the cross and the thief is there with him, the thief says, forgive me, you don't deserve to be up here, but I do. And Jesus turns to him and says, truly, I tell you, you'll be in paradise with me. He didn't say, get down from the cross, go get baptized and come back, and then you'll be in heaven with us. He just said, you'll be with me. Because what did that gentleman do? He proclaimed his faith in Jesus. He asked for forgiveness, and he accepted the gift of salvation. But you continue on, and Paul is in the jail with some of his buddies, and he's in prison, and there's an earthquake, and the prison guard comes out and says to Paul, Paul, what, what do we need to do to earn salvation? And Paul simply says, truly I tell you, you and your family will be saved. He doesn't say, truly I tell you, go get baptized, and you and your family will be saved. He just says, you are seeking, you professed who God is, you're good, you are saved. And as you continue looking through different pieces of scripture, it continues on and on where God or Jesus shows up and other people in the Bible show up and say different things like in John 3:16, whoever believes in me shall not perish. It's not whoever believes in me and gets baptized shall not perish. Now there are other denominations and groups of Christians that believe that the two are linked, but based on this evidence, we've concluded they are not linked. However, if you do confess to believe in Jesus, why would you not want to get baptized? See, we believe that baptism is a public display of an inward decision. So you've chosen to follow Christ, and now you're publicly going to show the world, this is who I identify with. So for us, baptism is not linked to salvation. Another question we often get is, can I be re-baptized? And it's a great question that we would respond with a question, well, why do you feel like you need to be re-baptized? Was it not your decision in the first place? Because if it wasn't your decision in the first place, and maybe you were baptized as an infant, yes, we would love to walk alongside you and baptize you in that situation. But if it's, well, I was baptized as a middle schooler, and now I feel closer to God, so will you please rebaptize me? I would, I would share this. At 17 years old, I had the opportunity to be baptized. It was an incredible opportunity. I was glad. I was excited. I was happy to be able to do that. But at 35, I believe that I'm closer to God. 
and that I know even more what I really don't know in this world, and I'm choosing to pursue him. And I hope at 40 and 50 and however long I'm allowed to live on this earth that I grow closer and closer to him. Does that make my baptism at 17 invalid because I'm closer to him now? Absolutely not. All it means is I made a statement at 17 years old who I was going to identify with, and now I need to live this challenge out by continually choosing to be reminded of the decision that I made at that time. So if you say, well, I was baptized, but I feel closer to God, so can I get rebaptized? We'd probably say, no, when you were baptized, that was valid enough. But if you come and say, you know, I was baptized and I was following the Lord and then I walked away for a long period of time and now I'm back, I'm bought in, I want to pursue him with everything that I have and I want to make a public statement, we would probably rebaptize you. We'd have a conversation about it, but we would be open to it. Now, another question we often get is if baptism has to be your choice, what age will you baptize people? Well, we'll baptize anyone that can explain to us why they're choosing to be baptized, that can explain why they've chosen to put their trust in the Lord, share their salvation story with us. And it's a process where we ask questions and we go back and forth with an individual. It's not a, oh, well, you didn't say the right answer, so you can't be baptized. It's a conversation. Do you understand what baptism is? What does it mean to you to be a follower of Christ? Why have you decided to follow Jesus and to want to be baptized? What questions do you have? And after that process, we'll say, okay, let's baptize you. And it's a quick process. It's just a conversation with the staff member, and we will baptize you. That means we'll baptize adults, we'll baptize youth, we'll even baptize some elementary students. But they have to be able to show a level of spiritual maturity to fully understand the commitment that they're making because we don't want them as an adult to say, well, I got baptized, but I really didn't know what it meant. I just thought that's what I was supposed to do because mom and dad wanted me to get baptized. So we need to make sure it's a decision of their heart before we're going to say, yes, we'll baptize you. So then that leads to the next question that often comes up. Well, if you don't baptize kids or younger children, is there anything for them here at Waypoint? There is. We call it child dedication. We call it child dedication for a very strategic purpose. It's not infant dedication, but we will dedicate infants, but we also will inf dedicate your children. Listen, my, my parents attend here, and I'm a 35-year-old male. If they wanted to dedicate me for child dedication, we would allow it. Now, that that would be pretty weird, and, and they don't want to do that. But maybe some of you never had a chance or weren't plugged into a church and didn't have an opportunity to dedicate your child, and you want to make that statement. And they might be in fourth grade. They might be in fifth grade. Maybe they're in third grade. Or maybe they are an infant. That is great. We would encourage you to sign up and have your child dedicated. It's an opportunity for you to say, we are choosing to raise this child in a home that honors God. That we know God gave us this gift, is trusting us with this gift, and we are giving this child back to him. That we will do everything in our power so that this child will know and serve the Lord. Now, now let me be very clear. If you get your child dedicated, or if you get baptized, it does not mean from this point forward, life is going to be easy, life is going to be fun, life is going to be perfect. In fact, we know that's not true. You're still going to question God. You're still going to struggle to trust him at times. 
bad things are still going to happen in your life, and you're going to have to find ways to choose to adjust your course towards Christ in spite of those things because you made a faithful decision to dedicate your child or to baptize yourself. And so we would encourage you, if you're wrestling with this today, trying to decide, is now the right time that you really pray about it over these next few days and that you sign up? If you're wrestling with it, maybe this will give you a little bit of peace, and I'll explain the process of baptism here at Waypoint. Like I said earlier, if you sign up to be baptized or talk to a staff member, we're simply going to have a conversation with you. We want to know what's your salvation story and why are you choosing to be baptized right now. We want to answer any questions that you might have towards baptism. And then we're going to challenge you to write your story down. Because when it comes the day of being baptized, we're going to ask you to read that story to the community and congregation. If being baptized is an opportunity to publicly display who you align with, then we want you to read out loud who you align with. Now I know some of you, reading something out loud would totally freak you out. We can work around that. We can have someone read something for you. We can help you. We can speak on your own behalf. Don't let that be the reason that you don't desire to be baptized. But the day of, you'll come in. You'll bring a change of clothes, bring a towel. You're going to have your story, and you're going to get in the water. Once you get in the water, there'll be two staff members with you. Or if you want a family member or a friend that's been with you on the journey to be in there with you, we would love to have that. You'll get in the water together, and you're going to be asked three questions. Do you believe Jesus is the Savior of the Lord? world? Is he your personal Savior? Do you intend to follow him for all of your days? You say, yes, yes, yes. And then they baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then everyone goes wild, and we have a nice meal afterwards. But prior to it, we do child dedication. For a child dedication... You will fill out on church center saying you want to dedicate your child. You're going to be sent a survey. You'll fill that survey out. A couple days before dedication, a staff member will reach out to you, and we're going to ask, who do you want to pray over your child? Do you have a story that you want to share about your child? Is there a life verse that you and your family have committed to pray over your child? And you're going to invite your family and friends to come to that. And we're going to stand around a table together. And we're going to talk about your child and dedicate them back to the Lord. And then we'll lay hands on each other and pray over that child. And once we go through everybody with child dedication, we'll move into baptism. And so we think it's a pretty smooth flowing and not that scary of a situation But we know that there's a lot of fear about getting up in front of people, making commitments. And so I would just ask, initiate the conversation with us. It doesn't mean you have to sign up or that you have to do it. Just have the conversation and see where it goes. See, for us at Waypoint, when you get in the water to be baptized, you're representing something. You're representing yourself standing there in the water with all of your sin, with all of your shame, with all of your guilt, everything that Jesus took to the cross, where he carried our guilt and our shame, 
And he held on to that, being persecuted. And when you go under the water, you're identifying with Jesus who died on the cross for you and I sin, but then was raised again. And you getting raised out of the water represents you making a commitment to identify with this guy who walked out of the tomb and created a new covenant for each and every one of us an opportunity for us to freely choose salvation, the gift that he had for us. Now, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, should I get baptized or shouldn't I? Should I dedicate my child or shouldn't I? I would encourage you to watch this video of last year's baptism, and then I'll be right back up. So uh, if you're here and you're debating it, we would encourage you to sign up. But maybe you're here this morning and you've already been baptized or you've already made a decision to follow the Lord. What I would challenge you with is what do you need to commit to right now that will help you adjust course towards Christ? See, in a moment, and I'm going to ask everyone that's helping with communion to go ahead and come on up and meet over there. We're going to partake in communion And in communion, it's an opportunity for us to be reminded of what God did for us in our life, how he went to the cross and died for our sins. It's a reminder of everything that you're doing and how you're living your life out. And so I'm going to challenge you to be thinking and reflecting on what do I need to do today that will help me adjust my course towards Christ. And let me tell you, in two weeks, when we have baptism, I'm gonna challenge you, as a community of believers, you may have already made that decision and you might not know anybody that's getting baptized, but people are making incredible statements of faith and walking with the Lord. I'm gonna challenge you, as a community, show up, stick around after service, Celebrate these decisions. Why would we not want to rally around each other when we're making huge statements to adjust our course towards Christ? So this past month, we've talked about salvation twice, and today we've talked about baptism. What do you need to do in your life? Is it time for you to accept Christ as your personal Savior? Is it time for you to sign up for baptism? Is it time for you to commit to know Jesus a little bit more? Is it time for you to decide to pray more in your daily walk, to dive into the word, to treat your family better, to treat your kids better? What decision do you need to make? Do you need to confess something to a friend that you've been carrying for a while? I hope that you take this time of communion as an opportunity to reflect on what you need to do to adjust your course towards Christ because my goodness, our community will change if all of us take this challenge together and start adjusting our course. So this morning for communion, I'm going to break the bread and serve people that are gonna serve you first and they're gonna go and they're gonna stand under a couple stations. You'll notice two people will be under the side screens, one person will be in the back and then I'll be off to the side with the gluten-free option. Once you see everyone's in their station, I'm going to ask that you just stand up and go to that station. And at some point, the band is going to start playing music, and they may ask you to stand and sing with them. When you get that bread, you're going to rip it off, and they're going to say, the body of Christ broken for you. What they're representing is what Jesus did on the cross. And so it's just going to be a big loaf that you're going to tear a little piece off of, 
And then they're going to have a thing of juice for you. And they're going to say, the blood of Christ shed for you. You'll dip that bread in the juice, and then you'll take it and remember what Jesus did for you on the cross. And I want to challenge you to think about, because of that, what are you going to do to adjust course towards him?